0: Hey there! Welcome to the Snakebird Podcast. My name's Josh. And I'm Steve. Together we invite you to join us as we
1: explore the mysteries of Scripture, the realm of God, and
0: freedom through Christ. So spread out those wings and slither in place because this is is Snakebird! Hey Snakebirds, welcome to a brand new episode of the cast. In today's episode, we're continuing our discussion about traditions, practices, and rituals held by the church and by many Christians as well. And we're continuing with our goal of of examining them and discussing
1: their origin and what they really mean, and should they be something that we adhere to? That's right. Balancing, should we be doing them? Should we not? Should we find some middle ground? We're going to look at all of that. Yeah. And we've already gone through quite a few in episode one, and we've still got some pretty interesting ones to uh, to go into now. Yeah. So I say we just jump right back in. Okay. Well, I'm going to kick us off with self-flagellation. <laughs> and if you don't know what that means, it's not anything to do with like flatula. <laughs> but it, it, it's the beating of yourself. I know, it sounds weird, doesn't it? It does. does. <laughs> but, okay, let's just jump into this. Self-flagellation is one of those darker traditions that some have uh, invented from, I believe, taking the Bible way, way out of context. Yes and we're just going to say that on the on the onset here so you know where i stand on it but it's basically where someone literally beats or lashes themselves as punishment for sins and temptations mm-hmm. and the main verse i found that people have used to do this is 1 corinthians 9:27 which says i strictly discipline my body and make it my slave so that after i've preached to others i myself will not be disqualified mm. And uh, the Greek word uh, used here for strictly disciplining my body is lagogio. And that's very Texan, I know, but that's the Greek word. And it means to bring into subjection, enslave, or treat as a slave. And at some point, um, certain Christians would literally lash themselves on the back with a whip, as well as beat themselves in other ways. Um, and that's That's a lot to take away Mm -hmm. from that. But, you know, when you read 1 Corinthians 9 in context, Paul is clearly using all sorts of sports metaphors to describe a Christian's battle with the flesh. Yeah. And it it seems really silly to us now, but there's actually still people today that practice this. Yeah. Um, Which is is kind of a scary thing to think about. And honestly, I, I think I understand the root of why some might do this, because We read scriptures like Romans 7 where the two natures within us are warring. And at times it's extremely agonizing to deal with this carnal spiritual battle within us. But at the same time, taking the scripture out of context to punish ourselves, you know, physically like that, that's not going to solve anything, even though you're struggling with the thought of all that. Yeah,
0: yeah. And it's interesting because um, I think there was one of two reasons that somebody might do this is, first of all, they thought that their flesh was evil. Oh, yeah. And so they're like, I just, I got to punish that. But we realized that Jesus says that our temple is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. So it's God's body. And he's like, it's okay. I gave it to you. You don't have to like work it over. (laughs) But it's the literal word of God. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And then the other ones, like you said, was it's a quest for holiness. Yeah. And so, next thing you know, you're like, "I'm just gonna beat the the sin right out of me." Mm-hmm. And um, I can't help but think that if you've been watching any modern day TV shows, sometimes they'll have that character who's often a villain who's like super religious or super pious, and the executive producer, whoever wrote the show, you know, whoever was behind the making of it, they'll go for that shock value where the guy will be like. Oh, we'll take care of them. And then he'd go to like his inner chamber and he takes out his little whip, which yeah. is what you call a flagellant. And the next thing you know, he's just... Beating the tar out of his back over his shoulder, and he starts bleeding, and it's like all ominous. And yeah. you know, of course, if you're looking at that, and you're like, "I don't want religion. I don't want that yeah. God." Yeah, you know, but that is not something that Jesus would ever call us to do. Yeah,
1: the Da Vinci Code had one of those uh, colors doing it. See, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And you know, you've seen. I know listeners have seen that, and it's a uh, it's it's a really gnarly thing that that people have taken out of context. Yeah,
0: because you're never going to pay for your. Own sin by beating yourself. There it is. Jesus paid our penalty for our sin.
1: Yeah, and, and you know that's that's uh, it's almost an, a thing that's in us humans because I, I've even heard of monks that, that will light themselves on fire. Oh my gosh, and, and burn themselves alive because um, you know, and I, I know there's different beliefs of transcendence or mm-hmm. what maybe it is what that is, but but there is this thing in us that strives to almost use pain to gain Mm -hmm. to gain our own self-righteousness yeah
0: yeah when you talk about traditions this is the bad and the ugly like (laughs) falling down the ugly tree hitting every branch on the way down Yeah,
1: very well put (laughs) very well put so that's you know we said it at the beginning at the end that's not biblical no to to do that and that
0: uh, verse means self-discipline
1: yes not (laughs) (laughs) self-discipline And on that note, unless you got more on self-flagellation, no, no, Josh, I, I, I'm glad.
0: Let's just stop saying flagellation before one of us gets a fart joke in there.
1: Yeah, exactly. So we're gonna go into one that's uh, not nearly as weird, and that is snake handling. <laughs> <laughs> this is, this uh, tradition has been one of great debate over the years, not only for the most obvious reason, which would be stupidly dancing while holding a rattlesnake in your face, but also for reasons of scholarly disagreement. Mm. Uh, the verses are found in Mark 16, 15 through 18. I was going to preface that by saying I hope I didn't offend anybody out there, but I have a feeling that not a single listener does this. So, yes. So I'm just not even going to say it. Okay. If you are... Re- please reach out. I actually want to talk to you. Yeah, so,
0: yeah. We're not trying to offend yeah, you.
1: Yeah, yeah. So Mark sixteen, fifteen through eighteen, and he said to them, "Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. The one who has believed and has been baptized will be saved, but the one who has not believed will be condemned. These signs will accompany those who have believed. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will pick up serpents." And if they drink any deadly poison, it will not harm them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. So um, there's a lot in there, but we're focused on verse 18 here, which is the serpents. And people have taken uh, the mention of picking up these serpents as a tradition of exercising their faith. And it's got really popular in America, starting in the early 20th century, Mm -hmm. and It raises two very big questions that I thought of. Um, Number one, this might surprise you that I'm going here, but I I have to mention it. The first question would be whether or not this ending in the gospel of Mark even belongs in the Bible. Mm. That might sound strange to you, so let me get into it real quick. David Gusick says this, in many Bibles, this last portion of the gospel of Mark is footnoted in some way, indicating that it did not exist in the earliest Greek manuscripts of the gospel of Mark. This has troubled many Christians regarding the reliability of God's word. Does this passage belong in our Bible? So what Gusick is talking about is the two oldest manuscripts um, that we have don't include this last portion and neither do about a hundred other manuscripts. Mm. So many modern critical scholars say that the ending of Mark is fraudulent in the sense that it was not a part of the original gospel. However, Gusick also points out that, the reasons that we should consider this ending of Mark to be legitimate. And that would be that many very early Christian writers referred to this passage in their writings, which shows that the early Christians knew it was there and they accepted it. And Gusick has a really long list of these early writers who did record the content of this ending of Mark. So feel free to look that up if you're interested. And then just to wrap this, this strange idea of questioning Mark's ending to a close... It's it's noteworthy that if these last verses in Mark were not intended um, to be there by Mark, then it would make no sense that it ended that way. And scholar A.T. Robertson wrote this in regard to that. It is difficult to believe that Mark ended his gospel with verse 8 unless he was interrupted. A leaf or column may have been torn off at the end of the papyrus roll. So perhaps this was a little unnecessary for some of you listeners, but, but there might be some out there that would stumble on this because we brought it up as a topic, and I just wanted to touch on that, if mm. you did, that that's one thing that you're going to find floating around uh, regarding these snakes. Yeah. So I believe that this ending is legit, and that would lead to the next question about whether or not we should be dancing around with rattlesnakes as Christians. <laughs> and that would be, what was the context for Jesus' mention of these snakes? Is Jesus really telling the disciples to go and pick up venomous snakes as a faith exercise? And the answer, I believe, leans maybe 70 to 80% towards cessationism. Call me MacArthur, but many Christians have noticed the fact that many miracles and extraordinary events that we see all throughout the book of Acts... And the rest of the New Testament just don't happen as much anymore. Mm. And this is not suggesting that spiritual gifts and the miracles have ceased, but that they have changed form as God has guided believers into these modern ages. And to reiterate something that I brought in episode 5 of season 1, spiritual gifts, this is what the scholars who wrote the Baker Bible Dictionary had to say about the early miraculous gifts that God gave believers. As spirit manifestations, charismata, which means spiritual gifts, Are a permanent and necessary endowment for the church. The individual gifts may vary over time and between specific congregations, but it would be unthinkable for Paul that charismata as such would cease. So, for me, it seems pretty clear that the reason Jesus even mentioned drinking poison or protection from venomous snakes was because of the unique charge he was giving that first wave of Christians. Mm. This was the very first wave of Christianity that God instructed to launch the gospel into the world. And the point was that these early missionaries didn't need to fear things that they normally would fear because God was going to protect this first wave of the gospel with a miraculous protection. Yeah. And it makes perfect sense to me because we see tons of examples throughout the Old Testament where God allowed certain miracles for certain events to accomplish certain tasks. Mm. So what I believe is going on in Mark 16 um, is just that. Now I would highly advise anyone listening not to pick up venomous snakes <laughs> and dance with them in your face. Don't yes. don't do it. It's not what the Bible is telling you to do. Yeah. Because
0: you know I've heard that about Mark before and studied it and and really had that like back and forth going, "What is this? Yeah. You know is this legitimate uh but I also thought about cessationalism and and we've had long discussions about it, but it makes sense because I wrote down maybe um the the believers that Jesus was sending out in this great commission. I don't know, maybe they just were expected to encounter more snakes than we are now.
1: Well, exactly. And that would make sense with that with that quote that I brought. You know, individual gifts may vary over time in between. You know, it's the mm-hmm. time. Yeah. It's the time they lived
0: in. Yeah, and I love that it's even exemplified through Paul. Uh, I think it's on the island of, um, was it Malta? Or he somewhere where he reached out into the woodpile and a snake got him Yeah, and the people all gathered around waiting to watch the, like, show of him dying. Yeah. <laughs> and nothing happened to they're like scratching their heads all yeah. who is this dude? Be he a god? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and uh so I was thinking, okay, so if you're really wanting to test your faith and you're basing that on Mark chapter 16, so you have this uh snake ceremonies handling snakes, I'm like, mm-hmm. well, the next line says drink poison. Yeah, I'm like, this church should start doing the Tide Pod Challenge.
1: <laughs> you know, you know I, I've heard of, of there has been some that oh, have tried okay. it too.
0: Well, I say that as a joke. And now that that actually is being done, that just breaks my heart. Yeah. Yeah. Because you read about people that have passed from getting bitten by venomous snakes. Mm-hmm. And that just, that breaks my heart because I know that their faith was big. Mm-hmm. I just think it was wrong directed. Yeah. It was directed in the wrong direction.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. And it's one of those things that if you don't if you don't take context the way you if you don't do your you're looking into the Bible correctly uh, rightly dividing so the Bible says mm-hmm. you can get so off on some of these interpretations and you you can even think God is telling you to do stuff mm-hmm. that's not what he's asking you to do. Yeah. And so um and that made a lot of sense for me just that early wave of Christianity there was a lot of stuff that was happening mm-hmm. that um it needed to happen for the gospel to get launched. And, yeah. and now I think there's other miraculous things that happen now mm-hmm. that didn't happen back then. Yeah. Because, you know, that's just the way God knows people are going to receive it. And if they see it, it's going to affect them differently than it did back then. Yeah. So yeah. it's
0: just, it's another one of those random lines in the Bible that you base a whole doctrine on. Mm-hmm. And out of all the doctrines that you could do, this is a pretty dangerous one.
1: Yeah. And that, and I thought, that's why I thought it was a good one to bring up because it's a perfect example of taking something that's not in context Mm -hmm. and you can like you just said you you can build an entire religion off of focusing on one little thing in Mm -hmm. the Bible it's not it's not something that's pushed in the Bible at all so you got to be careful
0: I'd rather have Jesus be like this is a biblical imperative (laughs) and I'm giving you an instruction to go pick up a snake and I'd be like okay God told me to Yeah, you know not a random line that's like oh that's my calling
1: yeah (laughs) Yeah. And like you said, it's, it's admirable that someone wants to prove their faith, but do it, do it correctly.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Amen. Oy.
1: So that's all I have to say about that.
0: Okay. Thank you, Forrest. <laughs> uh, I'll jump into another one that is by no means as exciting as handling snakes, but it's dressing up for church. Uh, because that seems like it's a tradition, especially in certain denominations, where uh, it's extremely common to hear terms like put on your Sunday best or you want to make sure that you have your Sunday formal uh, in speaking about dressing up for church. For me, I appreciate the churches who have gotten away from the uptightness of having to dress up, and I feel like it's another one of those reverence or respect issues that some take in how they feel like they're approaching God. So it's like, um, we dress up because we want to make sure that God knows that we're giving him our best yeah. and others are like, Hey, God sees me for all that I am. And it doesn't matter how I come as long as I come. Yeah. And this is another one of those kind of gray areas where you could argue from exactly polar opposites of the uh, argument and feel like you have a valid point.
1: And and in all reality, both could be right at the same time. Yes. Because of the heart.
0: Yes. But I also thought this is an interesting thing is when somebody says, I'm going to give God or I'm going to dress my best. For some, dressing their best is to others rags. Yeah. You know, and that's true. And so when uh, researching this, I'm you know, it's not really hard to find, but God says virtually nothing regarding on how we should dress when we come to worship him. Yeah. In fact, he's more concerned with the state of our hearts because in James, he dealt with this uh, with a couple of the people that were in church. He says in uh, chapter 2, verse 1, he says, My brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. For if there should come into your assembly a man with gold rings in fine apparel, you know, decked out in nice threads... And there should also come in a poor man in filthy clothes and you pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothes and say to him, you sit here in the good place. And then you say to the poor man, you stand there or you go uh, sit on the floor over there. Have you not shown partiality among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? I did find this in terms of how we should dress. And this is in first Peter five, five, clothe yourselves, all of you with humility towards one another for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. That's where he says, Hey, you want to know what to wear when you come to church humility?
1: Yeah, that's, that's, that's pretty good. You know, I, I think about, um, how I said both could be right on bringing, you know, dressing up the the best you can for God. And, And I was referring to the heart, but if you really think about it, uh, you think about sacrifices that God required. He wanted you to bring the best, the mm-hmm. first fruit, the best of the of the livestock, all of that. Yeah. But when you're talking about dressing, um, it's not really apples to apples. Mm-hmm. Because when you bring your best for dress... That's putting a spotlight on you, whereas you're losing something when you bring a sacrifice to God. Yeah. And so I I, I can totally see that. And those scriptures make perfect sense in that light. Yeah. But I also
0: read a 10-minute blog about somebody who said, do you wear, um, you know, drabby clothes when you go to a wedding? Yeah. Or when you dress up for a funeral or a graduation? no you you typically tend to dress up and it's because you realize the honor of the event yeah and this um blogger was trying to communicate to even what she felt like how her family would perceive things if it was like no i just wear pajama pants and and uh flip-flops yeah you know and so i feel like again this is one of those hard issues where you go, okay, what is my motive behind the way I dress? Because yeah. uh, I remember there was a Christian rap song about like the person who shows up with the diamond ring on their finger and brand new suit. And it was like the status symbol of them walking into a church going, okay, all eyes on me yeah. and not on Jesus.
1: Yeah. Well, and that's, that's a question you got to ask yourself. If you're showing up to church underdressed on purpose to prove a point, mm-hmm. that's bad. <laughs> that's bad, and too. And if you're showing up to church overdressed to prove a point, that's bad. Also, I heard a really sad thing from a missionary once that um, that there's these they, there's churches planted all over the world in different countries, and some of these missionaries he knew in Africa— they were watching some of the televangelists in America, mm-hmm. and that was their view of what a preacher was. And he said that they were actually, when he went and visited them, they were trying to collect the best suit in a oh. ring, in the, in the gold watch, because they were trying to emulate what they saw in yeah. televangelists. And that's what a preacher was. That's what the man of God was. And the, it was a really poisonous thing that was infecting certain churches across the ocean. Wow! And so that's a, that's a really, it, it's something we should, to think about because yeah. that actually, regardless of how you think of it, someone else is watching you from in Africa, yeah. doing that. you know, yeah. so there's, we got to think about, is this going to make my brother stumble? What are the motives of my heart? What will this mm. do to the motives of their heart?
0: Yeah. Imagine poisoning somebody's doctrine because of, yeah. The way that you carry yourself, yeah, yeah. and
1: then uh, you, i mean, I don't even want to mention the—the the fact, as I mentioned it, um, <laughs> the, the fact that you know I, I'm dressed this way because God's blessed me because yeah. I have done oh. this or I've donated, or oh. and, and that could even take it steps further. So, Ugh, that is that is nasty. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, that's yeah. this is something I thought of. Yeah. Okay, so the next one that I have is. Um, Roles of modern priests in in like confessions and stuff. Mm -hmm. And so this is obviously we're talking about uh, practices in the Catholic Church here. But um, this is no doubt a, a tradition that many will be familiar with. And it's the idea that we confess our sins to a priest and even be forgiven by those priests after confession. Um, check out, I would say our episode 38 in finding our identity in Christ, where we go over the fact that every believer is now a nation of priests, Mm. because I think that's an important thing Mm -hmm. to point out here. I'm not going to go into it here, but check that out. That's season one, episode 38. Um, but, but a big base verse for this tradition is John 20, 21 through 23. And it says, so Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you, just as the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, their sins have been forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they have been retained. And the Catholic religion considers the apostles, from what I have read and talked with with certain people that practice in the Catholic faith, they consider the apostles um, commanded here, the people hearing this to be the priests for that time and then passing the baton to new ones to our present day. And one Catholic apologist says the following, The New Testament makes very clear that Christ sent the apostles and their successors to carry on this same mission, to proclaim the gospel with authority of Christ, to govern the church in his stead, and to sanctify her through the sacraments, especially the Eucharist, and for the purpose here, confession." And the question that I, that I ask myself is, you know, the apostles alone do this? Because to the first point, to proclaim the gospel with the authority of Christ, when I hear about only apostles being the ones to spread the gospel with authority, I can't help but think of scriptures like Ephesians 6. Mm -hmm. "'Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, and in addition to all, taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one.'" all of these preparations are meant for all believers, not just the select few teachers or priests. And and no doubt some are called to teach and others to administration, but we are all called to spread the gospel and to put on these pieces of armor in Ephesians 6 for that very reason. And so uh, to to the next point, to sanctify her through the sacraments like the Eucharist and confession, our progressive sanctification is accomplished by the Holy Spirit within us. And I encourage you also to revisit another episode, number 35 of season one, which is what is progressive sanctification? Because we lay out an extensive, um, you know, the way God sanctifies us through dire- uh, directly through the Spirit, not by priests. Mm-hmm. That's not their job. That's mm-hmm. the Holy Spirit's job. Yeah. And so um, to the point of confession, we also see in 1 John 1, 9, uh, if we confess our sins he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness and then i also thought of hebrews 4:16 that says let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And then the, the all-time verse f- for me would be 1 Timothy two five that says, For there is one God and one mediator also between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. And these verses all speak of Jesus being our only mediator mm-hmm. um, it, that we come through with a sincere and repentant heart who will forgive us before God. Yeah. And so... I think of verses that says confess your sins one to another and you know the iron sharpens iron. And and I understand all that too that we we should confess to one another but uh, this is a this is a big tradition that that bothers me yeah. because it's setting up walls and barriers between God's people and him. Mm-hmm. And and I don't mean to step on any catholic toes out there. But when you read the Bible for what it says, it's so clear. Jesus is the only mediator. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, it's just a big one, a big one that I thought should be brought up.
0: Yeah, because you're also placing so much stock in a man who's also fallen and giving them a lot of power. Yeah, And, and it's not a place necessarily that anyone should be. Like, we need pastors and priests. I believe that wholeheartedly. But their job is to lead us to Jesus, not to stand in the middle, <laughs> yeah. you know, not to be the middleman. Their job is to usher us to Jesus and and to have any type of um in between, like you said, any type of extra mediator that's it's just silly.
1: Yeah. I, I have, you know, I agree that we need teachers, we need People in that respect, but you know, like in that episode, we, we are a kingdom of priests mm-hmm. as believers and yeah. Jesus is the high priest Yes, and that's the only avenue that God's laid out for us, um, in the, in the new Testament. So yes, mm-hmm. we do, we do need people to, to teach us and to, to be our mentors and yes. all of that. There's, I'm definitely not, not poo pooing on any of that.
0: No, but one of the greatest, uh, I think definitions of pastor is servant. Yeah is servant. It's not someone who lords over. It's not someone who says, I have to be in power for you to, um, you know, have this relationship with God. It's somebody who says, I'm going to serve you so that you see Jesus in me. Yeah. And, and that should, you know, what is it? The moon, it should be like the moon is always just the reflection of the sun. Yeah. Anytime you see the light of the moon, it's the, the moon's not generating light. It's just reflecting the sun.
1: Yeah, that, that's a great example. Great example. So I
0: have one more. Do you have anything more on that?
1: Nope, nope. I was done. Okay, <laughs> I feel like I'm
0: bringing all the like random ones. <laughs> so uh, I thought
1: snake handling. Oh, so you, you did. Okay. Even. All right. So, um,
0: have you ever heard uh, "heads down, eyes closed"? Uh, uh and you you've probably heard that uh close your eyes and bow your heads as we pray especially leading into like an altar call. Yeah. Cuz yeah. that is like that's the pastor go to. Um I started going is that something that's biblical or is that just something that has been kind of man uh directed? And so I started looking into it and the closest thing I could find in scripture uh, it was a verse I alluded to earlier. It's Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 and 6. It says, When you pray, go into your inner room, close your door, and pray to the Father in secret, and your Father who sees you in secret will repay you. And this is more regarding on how the Pharisees <laughs> prayed out in the open for all to see. Like you were talking about the phylacteries mm-hmm. and all the, you know, <laughs> shouting in the middle of the street, God, thank you that I'm not a woman <laughs> or a dog. Or like this man was. <laughs> right next to me that sinner (laughs) yes that tax collector Samaritan (laughs) (laughs) yeah exactly Uh, you know but interesting enough the Bible doesn't mention praying with our eyes closed and and it says yes we should pray in private Uh, standing bowing kneeling Uh, those things it all mentions but it never says that we have to close our eyes Mm. and so um, it's just one of those things that I feel like comes to personal preference for some they shut their eyes because it helps block out some of the things that may be a distraction Yeah. you know I was at church the other day uh, and I remember we were praying and this little girl was looking like dead eye at me as we were supposed to be praying and I'm like okay, I'm gonna close my eyes just to be an example to her
1: but it was so awkward <laughs> you know what I just thought of was that scene in Nacho Libre where he, they're praying and he's looking around and he looks to the right and Jesus is looking down at him from the statue <laughs> yes. and he's like Ooh. <laughs> that's so true you I know we're sitting around the dinner table with my cousins and, you know and we're all praying and then we kind of peek up and
0: yes. Yeah. Like,
1: we're we're sinning
0: (laughs) yeah and that's the thing is is like okay uh, that is a trip that is a trip that somebody puts on someone else and Again, you know, I appreciate the people that are like, Well, I love to walk and pray. Yeah. But I can't do it with my eyes closed. Yeah, Which do oh man, I'm sorry. You made me think of the story of a friend who I have that's so random. Cause he's riding around with this guy who's um kind of an off the wall believer. And the guy, uh, they stop and get breakfast and the guy's driving, and he goes, I'm gonna pray, brother. And so they start to pray, and all of a sudden he goes over a curb. Oh mercy. And uh and he goes, what happened? And he goes, I was praying. I had my eyes closed. <laughs> like, he's like, you're not supposed to close your eyes, dude. Oh, man. Yeah, and I mean, he was all sincere. And he's like, I thought God was going to take, like, and it, this yeah. was before Carrie Underwood. I mean, he literally <laughs> thought Jesus was going to take the wheel while he prayed. And Wow. Yeah, and it was just like, oh, we got to use common sense here. And yeah. again, you know, This is one of those areas where I feel like if you're causing someone to stumble, then maybe be more sensitive about it. But I have no problem with opening your eyes and just, like, for me, it's really neat to go outside and pray and look at the wonder that God's made. Yeah. You know, uh, I found this, and we've mentioned this man before, uh, Frank Laubach, who helped write uh, practicing his presence with uh brother lawrence but in his classic book prayer the mightiest force in the world he described praying anonymously for strangers on a train and often seeing the person look around as if the prayer had been felt and maybe it had i, I mean that's pretty neat yeah he's just sitting there and he's like i'm praying for this individual and this individual like whoa what was that yeah i, I don't know i i think that's a little bit different, but it's still neat.
1: It is. It really is
0: neat. Yeah. And, and I think that's a neat practice, too. If you're on public transportation or if you're out in the grocery store and you're just walking around practicing the presence of God, maybe it's just time to lift up that individual but yeah. you
1: need your eyes to do that. Yeah, that's true. And you need your head up. When Paul talks about pray without ceasing, I mean, <laughs> you can't do that all with your eyes yeah. closed. Yeah, you got to
0: you actually got to move through your day.
1: You know, it's a it's a it's a form of worship in a, you know, in a way. Yeah. Because I I worked construction for a lot of years and there'd be times that I would just I would lift up brothers and sisters in prayer while I was working, and it was mm-hmm. just a way. And some of those times, I were pretty intimate with God. That yeah, I had. that's yeah. wide open swinging hammers.
0: Yeah, and I think you know, especially as we come to a close, I think that's the the crux of all of these: is at what point does a tradition possibly start to wander into idolatry or wander into um, monotony of doing it repetitiously so many times that it becomes almost robotic to where you're on autopilot and it has no meaning anymore Yeah. like for me praying before meals could get robotic and I'm not going to do something that actually doesn't affect me in my relationship with God because it's not doing me any good and it's certainly not doing God any good
1: yeah that's a good point it all roots back to the heart Mm -hmm. every one of these
0: yeah the motive and the heart
1: yeah so that's um that's all I got yeah. on my end Josh yeah. you too That's it that's all I had And I'm sure there's a lot more out there that <laughs> yeah. y'all want to hear about. Yeah. If y'all enjoyed this episode and in, in the previous one, um, let us know some more. We'd love to schedule another one down the road because there's a lot. There's a lot. Uh, it, it brings up some interesting topics and uh, they're real questions that people have, stuff that they struggle with. You know, I've always done this, but why? Yes. type of thing.
0: Yeah. And it's funny because I'm sure we dwelt on this for about a week and I, I love what we say it's never an exhaustive list, you it's know, not. it's because. <laughs> <laughs> even uh, today, we were still coming up with a few, so yeah. I'm sure if we had time, it'd be like, oh, there's some more, and that's where you come in to say, hey, you guys missed these ones. Maybe we need another episode covering them or just discussing them, even in the, the Snakebird chat.
1: Exactly. So we hope y'all benefited from this discussion. And, uh, you know, we just got to decipher from what's been practiced to what's been commanded. Mm-hmm. And um, always keep our heart and mind as we, as we go forward with with the things that can be muscle memory. Some of that's okay. Yes. Some of it might not be. You just, just be mindful of
0: it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Because I saw somebody that said, um, essentially, if it benefits you in your relationship and it's not causing you to sin and it's growing you in God, then do it. Absolutely. But if it's taking you away and if it's not benefiting you, then by all means, please stop. Mm -hmm. Because everything that you do, no matter what it is, it's all about just growing in your relationship with God.
1: Yeah. Becoming closer to Christ, you
0: know, as you go. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Alright, always remember whatever you do Wherever you go No matter what life throws at you Good traditions, bad traditions, ugly traditions There's never been a better time to follow the words of Jesus And be Be a a snake bird. bird